Michelangelo here. You know, the master of the whirling pizzas. Greetings, minions. This is Lord Crab. Hello, everybody. My name's Grayson. And you, my friend, are listening to Turtles Forever. Brought to you by my radical dudes, Bebop and Rocksteady. I crack myself up. Cowabunga doo doo and welcome to a Saturday Morning Slice. I'm your host, Rob, and happy February, everybody. I uh, hope everyone had a wonderful January. It was definitely an interesting one in Tennessee. Uh, there was days where it was pretty darn cold. We didn't get much snow, though. And then there's been a lot of days where it's been t-shirt weather and thunderstorms and everything else. It's been a very mild winter so far. Knock on wood. But, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm a teacher, so I hope we use at least one or two of those snow days this year. Just a couple. <laughs> Anyways, guys, I hope you all are doing great this this month. Today, I am super excited because this comic issue that we're going to talk about today, this is probably the issue, or I should say the series of issues, that inspired me to do this little Saturday morning slice in the first place. Uh, because I've been wanting to talk about this particular four issues for, for quite some time. The comic book I'm talking about is The Secret History of the Foot Clan. A lot of you guys might have already read it. I feel terrible because I've owned it for quite some time, but I have not gotten to read it until recently. And I am gushing over it. So we'll be talking a lot more about that in just a minute. But first of all, I want to talk about a couple of turtle pickups. I went to my favorite comic shop in Tennessee, and that is the Golden Age in Maryville, Tennessee. That is the High Court of Comics and Games. And I picked up a bunch of turtle stuff this this past week. Let me grab it here. Okay, so because I'm a kind of a dummy, I didn't realize I picked up two copies of issue 135. So I've got a cover A and a cover B. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a box together, a turtle's box together, and maybe do a random drawing for, for one of our listeners soon. And a couple of these duplicate comic books that I have, I'll put in that box. Anyways, I got the Armageddon Game Alliance issue number one, two, and three. I got uh, issues one, two, and three of Armageddon Game. And of course I got a couple of Spider-Man books too. Oh, and the Saturday morning cartoon. I've got the third issue of that. I picked up the TMNT Classics Best of Casey Jones, which I'm excited to read that one, um, especially if they have the colors in it. And that's about it this week. But the other thing that I got that I definitely wanted to share and give a big slice of pizza out to a dear friend, oh my goodness, about a week ago, I received a package in the mail. And uh, th this is from a, a dear friend named Nick DeMarco. He has been a longtime friend and longtime listener of the Retro Junkies. And in the box, there was a bunch of retro goodies, like a Sonic the Hedgehog cup and, a, and just so many other retro goodies. But specifically Turtles related is probably my favorite gift that he put in there. And it is a tie-dye t-shirt that says, thank you for being a friend. And he knows that I love the Golden Girls and the Turtles. And they all have their Turtles headbands, the Golden Girls do. So thank you so much, Nick, for the, for the Turtles goodies. Last but not least... I want to give a big slice out to our dear friend, Nick Baxter. He is our first caller for our new turtle hotline. And here's the message right here. Rocksteady, use this turtle con to contact his fellow shellbacks. Right, boss. Oh, boy. This is going to be fun. 
Hi, this is Judith Hope as the original April O'Neil from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I'm so glad you called. Leave a message after the beep, and if we're not beating up fat guys and trying to, like, whip the Foot Clan, we will return your call just as soon as we can. Thanks! What's up, guys? It's Baxter. Figured I'd check in on this new uh, TurtleCom hotline. New year, new episode, new format. I love it. It's, uh, it was good to have uh, have you guys go back to the original cartoon. Looking forward to the next episode. I never read the Donatello Barrage miniseries, but the uh, but Donatello's Magic Crystal Storybook was like one of my absolute favorites as a kid. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to check in, say what's up, say I love the, the show. Thank you so much for the hard work and the new episodes, and I can't wait for the next one. Thanks, All right. Thanks so much, Baxter. I sure do appreciate the message and everything. It's always great to hear from our listeners. Uh, if anyone else wants to join in, our Turtlecom hotline is 865-312-7260. We would love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, he was talking about the secret or the, uh, the Warp Crystal kids book. I had that when I was a kid, but somehow it got lost along the, the way. And I remembered nothing about it except for the cover where he's holding a little pencil with a crystal attached to it. Um, I do remember having that book, and I remember reading it one time when I was uh, really little, and my dad was taking us to my aunt's house, and I remember reading it along the way. But once again, I don't know what happened to that particular book. So I had completely forgotten the storyline, and I'm not even sure if the Random House Kids book follows the storyline of the comic book. But let me tell you something. Reading the comic book, I will say this. It's one of my favorite comic books from the Turtles in the Mirage era. I mean, it's it's up there probably in my top three because it's just a cheerful book. I love the idea of getting lost in, in this own world of an artist. And just the artwork was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, Kevin and Pete were really firing all cylinders there. And it's kind of cool. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a more Peter Laird-centric story. And I, I just love his writing style. It's kind of a slow-burning writing style, but I've always liked it. Uh, but just the combination of, of Kevin and Pete's art, gorgeous issue, a fun issue. It, it was one of my favorite micro series that, that we've covered so far. Thank you so much for the kind words, my friend. And uh, hey, you know, you're one of the big reasons why we keep doing this, man. Appreciate you, buddy. Oh, and he talked about, you know, the, the format of the show. And I'm so glad he mentioned that. So here's what's on the menu for the rest of this month of February. We're actually traversing through the late 90s era of the TMNT. So we're going to be covering The Next Mutation, Episodes one, 2 and 3, because Kirkland and I have covered Episode 1 before. We're going to talk about the Image Comics. Now, he and I haven't actually read issues one, Issue 1 together, so we're going to cover 1 and 2. And then um, hopefully Zach and I can get back together and talk about the IDW TMNT series, the 134, or excuse me, 133 and Armageddon Game 2. And uh, hopefully by the beginning of March, we'll read the conclusion of The Secret History of the Foot Clan. So that's enough of my rambling, guys. What do you say we get into the comic after these brief messages? rid of this pile of old junk what get rid of my first skateboard yeah it's like recycling there are lots of organizations that fix old toys and get them to kids who need them of course if you really need your beat up old skateboard i understand what are we waiting for boy michelangelo i'm glad i did this it felt so good i donated all your old toys too not my rubber ducky thanks for the message guys great tips 
Okay, guys, so here we go. We are getting into the secret history of the Foot Clan here. Today, we'll read the first two issues of the series. And um, like I said, in March, we will finish up the last two issues of the series. So this came out in January of 2013. So this is uh, over 10 years old now, this particular storyline. Uh, it was done by uh, Matias Sanluco. Art was done by Matias Sanluco as well. So I love that he did the art and the story here. Abs oh, and the script was done by Matias Sanluco and Eric Burnham. And I just love this storyline. And I think it go goes really, really well with the ongoing, of course, but also kind of as a framework, right? So you could actually read The Secret History of the Foot Clan, then read the ongoing all the way up to issue 100, and then follow the Shredder and Hell series. And it's like this beautiful framework of a story between Hamada Yoshi and Orokusaki, and how it's a 180 between their relationship that is capped off perfectly by the time we get to the end of Shredder and Hell and issue 100. If I could have read it that way, I think I would have uh, really appreciated the impact of Shredder and Hell even more because it's one of my favorite series. But just it's all about the relationship between those two characters for literally lifetimes. Fantastic stuff. And it just makes me appreciate what's happening in the ongoing even more because now, spoiler alert, Orokusaki is training the turtles for Armageddon game. Hello, violators. You're in Casey's comic classroom. Prepare to be schooled. All right, so our cover is a great one. So we have Kitsune in the top left, the turtles in the top right, and then we've got Shredder, you know, pumping his fist with that, that claw of his looking straight at the reader. Uh, and uh, again, this is the secret history of the Foot Clan, the, the first cover by Sinaluco. It looks like he drew that cover in 2012. All right, so our story begins on a snowy day in Japan. The Yu clan, ruled by the daimyo Ashikaga Yu, this was one of the greatest clans in the Muromachi period. Enjoying considerable support from the samurai class, Ashikaga was well on his way to becoming a shogun. Instead of ruling Japan, however, he was brutally murdered, and after his death, his entire clan simply vanished. History suggests that Ashikaga's downfall may have come to the hands of one of his own clan members, Takeshi Tetsuo. That's an important name in this series. A man whose skill with the sword was matched only by his own ambition. And here we get this, this shot of Tetsuo, his, his head down, and then finally he, he looks up here in the bottom panel. Tetsuo's reputation had grown much in such a short time that even his own master, Ashikaga, had come to fear him. And no man who will be Shogun could afford that kind of fear. Uh, and we see Tatsuo facing an army here. And we can already kind of infer that these are Ashikaga's men probably sent to kill Tatsuo because Ashikaga probably sees him as a threat. But, oh buddy. So Ashikaga sent Tatsuo off on a mission into the mountains to kill thieves. It was, of course, a trap. And you just see what looks like a hundred men poised to attack Tatsuo. To kill one man, Ashikaga had sent a legion of warriors. And on this snowy winter's day, Tatsuo, he takes care of business. Takes out his sword. You hear the click of onomatopoeia here. And the men, they're afraid. They must already know this guy is no joke. 
Zoom in eye shot of Tatsuo here. He is ready for war. For any ordinary man, the story would end here. As we see Tatsuo jump over the, the legion of soldiers poised to try to kill him. Then we see a flash of red as Tatsuo takes care of them quickly. But Takeshi Tatsuo was not an ordinary man. He surprised his attackers and flew into battle like a man possessed. Gorgeous, gorgeous action scenes here. Three men are trying to attack him. Small panels of him blocking their attacks. One man does land a hit on the side while Tatsuo stabs another man. So he is taking some blood loss here. Our exposition continues. He showed the men sent to kill him just how deserved his reputation truly was. And here he is, standing amongst all these bodies and just a few warriors left. But though it was a battle worthy of the many stories written about it, it still came down to one man against many. So now he's on a cliff. He's still surrounded by about five men, and he's injured. Tatsuo takes off his robe. He's hurt, but he continues to fight. He swipes and slits one man's throat. Then two, then three, all in one swipe. And the fewer of Tatsuo's opponents that remained, the easier it became for their swords to find him. So one of the warriors finally lands a, what you would think is a devastating, a lethal blow as they cut off Tatsuo's leg. Tatsuo, he screams in pain, falls to the ground, gets back up, jumps on one leg, and attacks the remaining warriors. We get a great ground shot here from the dead warrior's perspective, looking up at Tatsuo with just one leg, trying to walk away, trying to hobble away. He's holding his hat, and he's making his way through the icy or the snowy mountainside. The remains of the men sent against Takeshi, Tatsuo, were found after the snows melted. It was assumed that Takeshi didn't survive either. Because what man could? So we see Tatsuo fall over in the snow. He's heavily wounded, heavily injured, and he's probably freezing to death. He's got his sword, and I love this shot here. It's such a cool shot. So he, he barely hobbles away from the dead men. He is kind of on this bank. He's looking over at the men, and then he's looking at his sword, which is stabbed into the snow. And he probably knows he's not going to make it. Finally, he closes his eyes, and as he's kind of given up, we see this mysterious figure in the background in a robe staring at him. Next panel, we see that this figure has carried Tatsuo on his own, or her own, above these cliffs overlooking this city. Finally, we get these close-up eye shots. We see Tatsuo's eyes closed, and then they slowly open, and then all of a sudden we see the fear kick in. This is Tatsuo's lines here. The battle. H how? I... Wait. I, I feel... Tatsuo wakes up in bed here. He looks down, and he sees that he has his leg reattached. Exposition. Still, Ashikaga Yu was plagued by rumors of Tatsuo's survival. Rumors given weight by a series of vicious attacks on his men. We see Tatsuo unravel the wrapping and we see all the blood and tissue uh, and the sinews and everything exposed. And we see this really weird green glowing ooze all over his leg. 
Over time, Ashikaga's power and influence fell away, and at last, he himself was found butchered in his own bed. Tatsuo says, Hole! Once again, we get a close-up shot of his foot, which definitely doesn't look natural. Something's not quite right. But we see this footprint of blood on the ground, and again, this green ooze spattered around it. The Yu clan was wiped from existence on that day, and the revenge of Takeshi Tatsuo was complete. All right, so that's the end of the flashback here. Now we realize that this was all a presentation by a man named Dr. Miller. The Turtles, they're watching this guy, and he's talking all about the history of the Foot Clan here. He's giving this huge presentation, probably for a college or university here. Now he's actually talking here in front of his audience. This is Dr. Patrick Miller here. Makes for a good story, doesn't it? Ninjas and samurai, deception, betrayal and revenge. The stuff of legends. But legends are often born out of truth. And looking for that truth can lead you to places you didn't expect, like hidden temples. All right, so now he's going to get to his main revelation here. He's a great storyteller. I came across this whilst researching the U-Clan. Now, this temple had plenty of local superstition attached to it, but no name. Here in this panel, we get this, this shot, and it's a great shot. So Casey, he's looking kind of bored sitting next to April. April, she's listening with her hands on her chin. I mean, lean forward. She is on the edge of her seat, quite literally in this panel. April says, I really thought Dr. Miller would be kind of boring, you know, but he isn't. Dr. Miller continues, which, of course, made it irresistible to explore. April, she continues to talk to Casey here. <laughs> Maybe it's because he's so passionate. I don't know. But history isn't always this fascinating. And then Casey, he's got his arms crossed. He looks kind of bored. He goes, yeah, fascinating, sure. Dr. Miller continues his presentation. And the expedition bore fruit. We recovered many items, including a portion of what we presume to be a much larger text, the Ashi no Himitsu, the secret history of the Foot Clan. Clicks his little clicker. And then finally, we get our first shot of the turtles. Now, the turtles aren't sitting with April and Casey, obviously, in the crowd, but they're up on the rafters overlooking everything, and we see Michelangelo, his shocked reaction going, Dude! <laughs> and, of course, Leonardo's trying to shush him. Mikey, shh! We want to hear this. And Dr. Miller continues his style, his presentation. The pages you're looking at identify the Ashinohumitsu as the comprehensive history of the ninja order, the Foot Clan. We found details on how they influenced the politics of their day, medicinal preparations modern man has never even heard of, even stories of supposed black magic. And what we found is far from the complete volume. But perhaps you're asking what this manuscript has to do with the Yu clan. What's the connection? The common thread? Takeshi Tatsuo. These pages appear to have been authored by Takeshi Tatsuo and years after his last appearance in any historical record. So Casey's trying to figure this out here. He goes, wait, uh, hold on. What's the Shredder's name again? Abel kind of leans in, still kind of transfixed on the presentation. Orokusaki. Casey goes, are we sure? <laughs> and Abel goes, yes, we're sure. Dr. Miller continues, it's not outside the realm of possibility that Tatsuo formed the Foot Clan from the remnants of the Yu Clan after Ashikaga's death. But what do we know of the Foot Clan? What was the extent of their influence before they, too, died out? 
Raph says, before they died out, he says, yeesh. Once again, Leonardo, shh. Dr. Miller continues once again. The Ashi no Himitsu suggest that the true secret of the Foot Clan's power came from an alliance with Kitsune, an alleged witch. And we see this dragon in the background of his presentation. Takeshi Tatsuo gained something from that alliance that drove him to serve her patron, the terrible and powerful Tetsu Oni, the Iron Demon. All right, so now we continue with our flashback here, a little bit more backstory. So now we know about Kitsune, we know about Tatsuo, we know Ashikaga's gone, and we see this village burning. We see all these Foot Clan soldiers firing down on rooftops and killing the villagers here, but we don't know why yet. So here's our exposition. The actions taken in the name of Oni were the epitome of ruthlessness, and it appears that Tatsuo reveled in them. So Tatsuo seems like a bad dude. We see this little boy running from his burning village. He looks back at the fire and the carnage. After he looks back, he finally turns to and runs straight into what looks like a Foot Clan soldier. The boy falls to the ground, and the mysterious soldier says, You should always pay as much attention to where you run as to what you run from, boy. Now go. Now, before I change my mind. So we see this man here actually sparing a child's life. He's definitely a Foot Clan soldier. He's got this Foot Clan symbol on his chest plate. And we see another man with a ponytail behind him. The man with the ponytail, he says, You're lucky none of the others saw that. This is repulsive, Masato. These people are no threat to our objective. Slaughtering them is a dishonor. Okay, so we know the ponytail man is Masato. The man who just spared the boy's life, I already like the guy. Let's find out what his name is. Well, ponytail man, Masato, he says, I'm pleased we agree, Orokumaji. This insanity does no, no one any good. So they kick open a door of this burning house and we see this poor mother, a baby, and a child who look horrified. They probably think they're about to be slaughtered by the Foot Clan. But Masato spares their life. Come, woman. This is no safe place for you to hide. Mother and her children run off. Masato continues to talk to Maji. I know for a fact that many of the clan share concerns about Lord Takeshi's leadership, but they are afraid of his unearthly power, as am I. My grandfather served under Takeshi's command, Maji. It is as if our Lord has not aged a day. Perhaps the stories are true, and that he's in league with demons. Alright, so really close eye shot as we see both men looking up at one rooftop, and we see Kitsune here. But she's in her animal form, which I think is a fox with three tails. So we see Maji and Masato looking at Kitsune and the burning village here. And you kind of get the feeling that they're going to try to do something about this since other soldiers are concerned about the evil that's being done. And also concerned that their ruler, Tatsuo, is in cahoots with a witch and black magic. So finally we get our shot of Tatsuo here. The new and improved Tatsuo. So he's inside this burning building. This old man can barely can barely stand. He's trying to get up as the building around him is burning down. We see Tatsuo in the doorway. This is what happens, Lord Daisuke, 
when you tried to deny a god. You should have simply given the foot these lands without resistance, and perhaps I would have been merciful. The old man on the floor, you are not capable of mercy, Takeshi Tetsuo, and you are no god. It was my honor to deny you. Tetsuo, his eyes are red in the flames here, and Kitsune is by his side. Ha! <laughs> Look around you and see what your honor has brought you, Daisuke. Ah, Kitsune. Our business here is done. You may tell your iron demon that the lands he so wanted have been acquired. Kitsune finally turns into her human form here with the fox mask. She goes, I am pleased to hear that, Lord Takeshi. And I guess Maji and Masato watch this unfold in the distance. Masato says, Maji, the rumors, they're true. And he's referring to the fact that Tatsuo is in line with Kitsune. So now back to our present time. We see Casey and April here. April goes, I'm just saying, we should talk to him. That's all. He probably has a lot more information about the Foot Clan. He could have something helpful to the guys. Casey, I don't know. I mean, what are we going to say to the guy? Uh, hi, we want to look at all your valuable old ninja stuff because there's like this dude who came back from the dead. Which Casey has a point. So as they make their way to the van, Casey continues. Anyway, why would you even think he's got anything else that could help? And from the back, we hear Leonardo. I guess he's in the back of the turtle van. Or excuse me, I don't think it's the turtle van yet. But he goes, he will. So Casey, he's like, I hate it when you guys do that. Michelangelo goes, well, we're ninjas, dude. It's totally habit. Which Mikey's got a good point. April says, and why are you so sure, Leo? Do you know something we don't? Leonardo, no. It's, it's something I read once. If you know your enemy as well as yourself, you'll win a hundred battles. If we learn anything that helps us know our enemy, it's useful. So finally, we get this shot of Dr. Miller. He's about to exit the university here. And we see this ground shot of this mysterious woman who wants to talk to him real quick. Dr. Miller, may I have a moment of your time? Dr. Miller's on his way out and he goes, I'm sorry, young lady, I, I'm in a, but uh, I'm in a bit of a rush. The lady continues, she's persistent. Well, then I shall be brief. And here we get a close-up shot here and we know who this woman is. None other than Karai, Shredder's granddaughter. I represent a private party who shares your interest in the Ashi no Humitsu. In fact, he has acquired some of the book pages himself and would very much appreciate your appraisal. She tries to hand Dr. Miller a card. Now we're in the church hangout, which is kind of cool to see this again. It's been quite some time since the turtles have been in the church. Uh, and Michelangelo is talking here. He says, and then he talked about a witch. Splinter says, Kitsune? Donatello says, yes, father. How'd you know? We get this close-up of Splinter here, and he knows full well everything here with the Foot Clan. There's Splinter, he looks in ten, he says, My master Masato told me tales of Kitsune in the decades of darkness the Foot Clan endured while allied with her. Darkness that lifted only when Orokumaji led a rebellion to free the clan from the very monster who founded it. And here, 
we get this flashback. So now Splinter's telling more about what happened to the Foot Clan. As he alluded to, Orokumaji, uh, he's in the bushes here watching the spirit animal form of Kitsune walk with this, this pack on her back. Finally, she turns into a woman in her human form as she's making her way to what looks like Tetsuo's empire. So we see Kitsune in human form just kind of looking off in the distance. And we don't know why she's heading that way. We don't know what's in the pack yet. However, we get some exposition a little bit later in the Foot Clan's, one of the Foot Clan's hideout. Maji, he says, it happens once each month, brothers, and always during the full moon. Lord Takeshi locks himself away while the witch travels west with an empty satchel. Two days later, she returns with it full, and only then does he emerge. So Masato goes, I wonder why. One of the Foot Clan members says, is the way of her magic. It must be. She's bringing in power from the demon she serves. Our forces are ready. We should attack now. Masada says, but the witch has returned, Ryo. Whatever she brings to Lord Takeshi, he's already received it. Well, how long are we to wait then? Maji says, we must not get ahead of ourselves. I would know what spell the witch casts before we face her directly. And so the next month, Alright, so now Kitsune is about to give Tatsuo this mysterious ooze. And he goes, Masato has aged tremendously. Like, he looks like he's about to die. He's lying on the floor as Kitsune presents him with the ooze. I'm tired, Kitsune. Kitsune replies, That is but the protest of an old man. Drink this elixir, my lord, and your weariness will be but a memory. So he drinks the elixir. I am tired of submitting to the will of your demon in order to prolong my life. Servitude is too great a price to pay for immortality. So as he downs the bowl, he instantly becomes the young Takeshi Tatsuo. So he throws the bowl off to the side and makes his way. He goes, there is, there must be something permanent that can be done. I refuse to go on like this. Kitsune says, I am searching, my lord. It will only take time, which is on our side. So one thing I want to stop and pause for here is we don't really know why Kitsune is so invested in Tatsuo. Is it just for the power of the Japanese Empire? We don't really know, at least not yet. But we do know that Tatsuo is not going to take this lying down. He wants to find a permanent solution to his problem of aging because time has passed. But as all this is unfolding, we see Maji and Masato's men outside watching this. And Kitsune says, we will find a better way, Lord, my Lord, I swear it. Maji had witnessed the secret to Takeshi's power and formed a strategy, a surprise attack. So as old man Tatsuo is about to get his elixir, that's when Maji and Masato attack, which is brilliant. So Maji says, Takeshi Tatsuo, death comes for you this night. Tatsuo goes, what? No, and they spill the elixir all over the ground. Tatsuo says, the potion, no. You will pay for this treachery, Orokumaji. He draws his sword. You will all pay. And we see that Kitsune in her animal form is not happy either. She is howling in rage here. But Masato and Maji, they're not backing down. 
Maji says, I will deal with Takeshi, old friend, if you keep his witch from tearing out my throat. But do not kill her. Not yet. So here we have an epic battle, all right, right here in Tatsuo's place. Er, Masato says, stay back, witch. I will not warn you again. This battle is not for you. So meanwhile, we get this epic battle between Tatsuo and Maji. Tatsuo says, traitor, I will have your eyes for this. Maji retorts, it is you who have betrayed your clan, Tatsuo, bargaining with demons. Some great battles here as they're barely dodging each other's attacks. Tatsuo says, you know nothing, boy. All I do, I do for the glory of the Foot Clan. So we get this head-to-head, swords clanging against each other, eyes locked. Maji and, and Takeshi Tatsuo fighting to the death here. Maji says, glory is not the most important thing, Lord Takeshi. Those of us with but one lifetime already know this. Great line right there. So finally, he swipes at Takeshi, knocks his sword out of his hands as Takeshi falls to the ground. Maji says, honor is what truly matters. It is all that we have that is ours. And then finally, Maji swipes the sword, slashing Takeshi across the chest. And your way has dishonored us all enough. Kitsune howls in rage. And just before she storms off, she says, you do not know what you have done, Oroku Maji. Maji replies to Kitsune, I have restored honor to the Foot Clan, which and killed a man who should have been dead a long time ago. Kitsune replies, Honor? No, you've brought disgrace into this house. And mark my words, boy, Dakeshi Tetsuo will be avenged. And she storms off into the snow. Your own house will be the death of you. So what I find interesting here is that she says that Maji and Masato have dishonored the Foot Clan. So maybe she knows something that they don't, even though they think they're doing the right thing by taking down Tatsuo. All right. So Splinter now back into the church here. Uh, April and Casey huddled around. The four turtles kneeled down to listen to Splinter's story. Splinter continues, From there, Masters Maji and Masato set the Foot Clan on the path of honor, a path that I was proud to walk with them. It still mystifies me that Maji's own son would be the one to turn the clan back to the dark ways of its founder. Michelangelo goes, hey, maybe the kid got zapped by some kind of black magic the professor dude was talking about? Which I always love Michelangelo's perspectives. And we see Dante kind of like rolling his eyes, looking up at the ceiling. Oh, come on. There's got to be a better explanation than magic. And Raph replies with a, with a good point. Yeah, because magic can turn some chick into a giant fox, but it can never make anybody turn evil or nothing. April says, guys, a little focus. I still think that we need to talk to Dr. Miller and see what else he has on the Foot Clan. Casey goes, I don't know. I just got a bad feeling about this guy. It's a gut thing. Which, you know what? We should probably remember what Casey's saying there. April, that she's having none of that. Oh, come on, Casey. We can just drop by his office tomorrow, quick and easy. That's, that's April's inquisitive spirit. Splinter, he looks a little worried. He goes, intuition is important, Casey. But I must agree with April. This would be wise to pursue. Leonardo goes, I'd like to go too. I want to know more. Donatello, you have fun with that one. I have a little project of my own to keep me busy. Michelangelo, he's walking away. He goes, yeah, and I'm kind of wiped out from all this history stuff. 
Casey and uh, Raph have a little side to side, which I always like how close they are. Casey says, Raph, dude, am I crazy to be suspicious? Raph, nah, you gotta trust your gut, man. Thanks, bro. No worries, Case. Far as I'm concerned, any guy this into the foot, I'm kind of suspicious of too. And we get Dr. Miller alone in his uh, hotel room here. And he's talking to this uh, pager or this recorder here, uh, documenting his day over a drink. Out of nowhere, a mysterious woman appears claiming to have access to the pages of the Ashi no Himitsu. And then he finally gets up from the couch. And this must be his apartment because he's got this giant poster with all these pins and strings tied to each page here. So he's been definitely tracing all these clues. Could it just be a hoax? Should I trust her? Do I have a choice? And then he pins on his uh, corkboard that card that the lady gave him. And of course, her name on the card, Oroku Kurai, assistant director of Oroku Inc. So as he's looking at his little recorder, we see through the window, foot soldiers looking at him. And then when he turns to the window, they're gone. Great little shot right there. And then we finally get to Kurai reporting back to Oroku Saki. And I forgot that Alapex was still working for Saki at this point. Karai starts the conversation. I've delivered the invitation, Master, but I don't see why you allow this man to live. His research could expose us. Shredder, looking intimidating as always, you are in questioning my judgment. No, Master. His is a keen mind, Karai. He could not have discovered so much about the Foot Clan otherwise. We will bring him in and direct his mind toward work of my choosing. I may allow you to kill him later, but for now, he is not to be touched. Now go. Yes, Master. Alapex even questions Orokusaki's decision. Master, why is this man so valuable that you spare him? Saki? He has a skill for following paths obscured by the long march of time. Alapex is a little perplexed here. No, no pen intended there. Master? I don't understand. Power, Alapex. I'm looking for power that the Foot Clan should have never have lost. And may his gods help this man if he cannot find it for me. All right. And meanwhile, we see Kitsune now in the current timeline, but she's still on this snowy hill. And she's looking at this mysterious glowing thing. But if you look closely enough, it looks like this futuristic device or... Uh, I'm not sure, a ship or a base, whatever you might want to call it. But she's making her way to this glowing, futuristic thing, and she's speaking to it. She goes, Hear me now. Hear me, and know that I have come to draw power from this place. The Foot Clan has been usurped, and I must prepare if I am to exact my revenge. I cannot provide you with what you require at this time, but I swear our agreement will be honored. And then finally, we see Krang here. And of course, it's, it's, it's interesting, uh, his giant, you know, man-baby robot body. I forgot the original kind of designs of it, what it looked like. It's a great combination of um, something new with IDW, but also the original Krang robot body that we see in the cartoon series. And we see Krang finally answer Kitsune and go, I'm listening. And that's how the first issue ends. So it ends on a cliffhanger. Gotta love it. 
All right, guys. So my timer has reminded me that we are already over 30 minutes and we just covered issue number one. So I figured, you know what? I will go ahead and stop this episode here. Uh, and what I'll do is I'll try to post the second issue within the same month. So you'll get two Saturday morning slices this month based on the secret history of the Foot Clan. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. Uh, Nick Baxter, thank you so much for calling in, man. Nick DeMarco, thank you so much for the awesome gift this week. Guys, I hope you all have a wonderful one. Really enjoy this issue. Cannot wait to talk about issue two. Out of the two, issue two is my favorite so far. So stay tuned for that. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, our email address is turtlesforeverpodcast.gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts regarding this series or just issue one alone. Or if you want to give us a call, our TurtleCom hotline is 865-312-7260. And uh, stay tuned as probably the next episode you'll hear will be our episode based on episodes two and three of The Next Mutation as we return to the late 90s era of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. All right, guys, that's all I've got for today. I hope you all have a wonderful month. Stay tuned. I'll probably post the second issue review uh, within the same month so stay tuned for that also stay tuned for the idw tmnt ongoing zach and i are planning on recording based on issues 133 and armageddon game issue 2 very soon and that's about it for today i've rambled on enough i hope you all have a wonderful week and here's to helping you enjoy your friends enjoy your family and a mega slice of cinnamon toast and pop tart pizza because it's saturday morning come on it's breakfast food cowabunga dudes <laughs>